second book of Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And it reads, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruptions that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfaithful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided to you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, Revive, it's so good to be here with you guys, and thank you for the wonderful, warm welcome. It, um, am I on? Am I good? All right. So it's, uh, it always feels like um, a home away from home when I come to you guys. So many familiar faces. I think we've seen several of you in our retreat and also to, glad to see so many new faces. And, uh, you know, um, Su Sung's been uh, one of my best friends, I can say, and more like a brother. You know, we, we just realize as we get to know each other how we are so very similar in, in so many things. It's very eerily similar. We just look like brothers from a different mother or something like that. <laughs> and that spooks out our spouses sometimes when we meet, and even both the good and the bad stuff. Uh, I, I'm glad he's getting a break and enjoying his well-deserved sabbatical. Honestly, I'm a little jealous about that. And uh, he came to worship with us on the last Sunday and, and uh, indirectly made a pitch for my sabbatical, which I'm hoping to take next year. <laughs> so I'm very thankful for that. I saw a picture he just sent a couple of weeks ago, must have been before he had the spell, uh, in front of uh, Indian Lebanese Arabian restaurant. I've never seen that in Korea. So this is truly a global world we are living in right now. So would you join with me in prayer before we go into God's Word? A gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us as uh, your children to come before you and to surrender ourselves to hear from your Spirit. Perhaps some of us have had a very heavy week and a challenging week. Perhaps uh, some of us are going through a very dry season in life, even as we have just finding our way out of this pandemic. Some of us feel we are stuck and have plateaued in our spiritual walk. No matter where we are, God, I pray that your word will breathe new life into our hearts, our minds, our spirits that we'll be encouraged, 
will be edified and will be inspired to live a life in union with you and that brings glory to you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. So um, I think some of you know a little bit about our background as uh, Pastor Jung was reading. We are a family of uh, five. My older daughter is in uh, going to be a senior in college, and we had adopted two kids, Brian and Sophia. Um, they were two and three years old when they came, and now they're eight and nine, and boy, they have grown so tall. You know, I, I should have sent a picture earlier, but I didn't. Whatever you can see, this is a recent picture from last week, and um, after our usual daddy kids date of donut dates, we call it. They love donuts. And they have grown so big. You know, Brian, um, my son, he's expected to be 6'6". Six, six. You know, I'm 5'7", so I'm told him, like, I'm going to have to look up to you, and you're going to have to carry me up. And uh, it's not just they have physically grown. You know, they've been through a lot of trauma before they came to our house, and especially for my son. He was in a foster home, and the mom used to drop him a lot because he's heavy. You know, she, she, was, she was a very older uh, women and wonderful lady, but and because of that, he had so much fear. He he would not let me carry him. He'll be like grabbing my shirt, and before I could even embrace him. Well, fast forward five years, he now does flips in the swimming pool all by himself, zero fear, and now I have to tell him not to jump from the fence and the trees and places like that. So it gives me so much joy to see how, as our kids, um, how they have grown, not just physically, but overcoming their fears and challenges and learning other things. And in a way, it reminds me of God's family as his children. God desires for you and me to grow in grace every year in our lives. And, um, you know, Max Dupree, uh, one of my favorite leadership Christian guys, he, he's, uh, you know, there's a Max Dupree Leadership Center at Fuller. He made, said this quote, he said, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. And I think if we can translate that to our own personal spiritual lives, we need to see where we are in our spiritual journeys. You know, this is the tech capital of the world, and any place you go, what they talk about is roadmaps, right? You want to have a technology roadmap. You want to see where is technology headed five years from now so you can plan your resources to get there. And I, I, was, I come from the nanotech industry, and when we were working, Moore's Law was a big thing. You know, Moore, John Moore is a Bay Area native. said every two years, the number of chips in the same density of, your, of the semiconductor chip will double. And, uh, and that's how we have seen the expansion of all the devices. How many of you remember the Pentium processor? I'm kind of giving away my age there a little bit. And, and that's how, where it started, right? The 486 Pentium, and now we have the A13 Apple chip that's making all these things possible, right? So the, the tech industry has a roadmap. The question I have is, do you have a roadmap for your own spiritual lives? Does God have a roadmap for our own spiritual lives? And, and where are we in all of that? 
You know, if you're parents, you, you have this dream and desire to see how your children grow. You know, you, you have some milestones. And um, I don't know about you guys, if you're an Indian parent, uh, you have only very two milestones or roadmap for your kids. They, you either want them to be doctors or engineers, period. Anything else is not an option. <laughs> and, and I heard from my uh, you know, Chinese American friends that if you are a Chinese parent, you have to have your own startup and reach IPO before your mid-30s. Otherwise, you know, don't even talk about it. So I don't know how it is in, in your culture and what you guys have as roadmaps. But, but thankfully, um, scripturally, what we read today is a passage that talks about a spiritual roadmap. You know, God has called us to experience spiritual growth, growing in the grace for Lord Jesus Christ. And this letter that was written was written by Peter. And this was his last words. You know, and he's writing to the dispersion, scattered churches that are going through a tough time. And if you look at Peter, who he is and where he has come from in his own personal journey, it's very encouraging and inspiring. You know, before he meets Jesus, he is this um, fisherman who's pretty good in what he does. And when Jesus calls him to follow him, he just drops his nets and goes right after what Jesus asks him to go, and we read through the Gospels, you know, an account of how he's this very impulsive and sometimes immature disciple, and he wants, you know, all these exciting discipleship experiences, he wants to walk on water like Jesus does, and um, he wants to stay in the Mount of Transfiguration after he sees all this awesome spiritual things Jesus does. He even proudly says, I will never leave you, Jesus, despite Jesus himself telling him, hey, you're going to leave me, man. And also is a very power-hungry guy. He wants to be the number one disciple and yet denies Jesus three times. And, of course, Jesus comes and restores him. And, and we see through the book of Acts, his journey, his faith journey, you know, Despite being a disciple of Jesus, he doesn't understand grace. He's still stuck in legalism. Paul has to confront him. And, and through all of that, he has grown in his own spiritual walk. And now he's writing this apostle, this epistle and sort of laying out a spiritual roadmap for us. How do we experience growth? If you're a Christian, you need to be growing. If you're a healthy Christian, you need to experience healthy spiritual growth. And if God can take someone like Peter and through his grace transform him to be a guy who is now a blessing to all these churches that are scattered, I'm sure he can do even more wonderful things in your life and my life. And you see right off the bat as he starts, he's not saying, I'm Peter, the first apostle or the apostle or the man. He says, I'm Peter, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And the gospel, the first thing it does is humbles us. And, you know, one of the things, the sad part is during this whole pandemic, it sort of brought a lot of things out from our hearts. You know, if you're just driving around, you see around the Bay Area, people are very edgy. You know, it's gotten a little better now, but it used to be worse. 
They said uh, mental health was a huge challenge. A lot of people experienced depression, loneliness. Marriages were exploding left, right, and center. All the cracks that were hidden started coming to the surface, and it blew up. It kind of unearthed and showed to a lot of us who were even just doing church, you know, going through the motions of what, what's really there inside. And Dallas Willard um, wrote this fantastic book called The Great Omission. And if you haven't read it, I'd rec recommend you guys to take a look at it. He talks about, we all know the Great Commission, that Jesus calls you and me to go and make disciples of all nations. And he says the great omission is that we only make converts and not disciples. In fact, he has a very fancy name for such people. He calls us Dracula Christians, by which he says, we say, Jesus, give me a little bit of your blood so I can be saved. And when I die, I can go to heaven. But don't mess with me until I get there with any other aspects of my life. I just need your blood, Jesus, but don't expect me to change. Growth, what are you talking about? Don't make me uncomfortable. And we somehow bought into that consumeristic gospel understanding. And, and then we, we see when the rubber meets the road, we are not able to overcome any of challenges. So the question to ask ourselves today is, if I say I am a Christian, I have experienced the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, what has changed in my life? Is it merely an intellectual switch that I now believe the gospel in my mind, or if I die, I'll go to heaven? Or what has changed? Has anything changed in any other areas of my life? And Peter is telling us, he's sort of giving us a roadmap to see how and what spiritual growth can look like as we journey in our Christian walk. First of all, he talks about the source of spiritual growth. You know, he says, um, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You know, growing in grace is not about doing these things and going to God and saying, God, look, I've cleaned up my life. Now I just want you to accept me. It's actually the other way around. We can experience spiritual growth because the righteousness of Christ covers us. I don't have to earn my place to go before God. And that's what the Pharisees did. They just started making a list of these things, and it quickly became an act of legalism and not really coming out of an overflowing gratitude to the grace of God in our lives. And we need grace and peace with which he starts this letter because you and I are going to mess up every day. And despite messing up every day, God says where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. We can always go back. We can always enter his presence. And he's saying that he will change us. He will transform us. So then he unpacks for us what are the means of spiritual growth. What has God given to you and me in the gospel for us to experience this change, experience this growth? Three things, says he's given us this power. There are his promises which come alive through our union with 
Christ. You know, so that's 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is a very freeing passage. What this basically says is, you don't have to fret or beat yourself to experience change. God has given all that you need already. It's all there in the gospel. It's a very freeing thing. It says he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. First, it says through his power. Through his power. What, what is he talking about as the power of God? You know, in Paul unpacks this in Ephesians 1, verse 18, he says it is the same power that worked in raising Christ Jesus from the dead. That's the power of the gospel. You and I, when we are born in this world, we do not have a capacity to relate to God. We are by nature, we are born dead in trespasses and sins. We need to be resurrected. So first of all, his power is unleashed to give us a new birth, a new life. And he says the same power that was used to make Jesus come alive, to cause the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the power that's internally working and continuously in a daily way to bring this new man out so that it's not something I do by my strength. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who abides in me. And that's fascinating, isn't it? You know, the Greek word is dynamis, from which comes dynamite. You have the dynamite power of God's Spirit working in you to change you. Amen. And that has an infinite battery life. You don't have to charge every 18 hours like your iPhone. <laughs> That's the power of the gospel. And there are the promises. And you see, this power was witnessed. Peter actually got a glimpse of some of this power, right? I mean, he saw the transfiguration, what literally the power does what we can all be at some point. He had that short vision at one time. And we know that this is how we are going to be when Christ returns. And he has promised us that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. There are all these promises. It's not like may bring it to completion or could bring it to completion. Or may happen if you also, you know, do X, Y, Z. says, it will come to completion. And how does this work? It says, through a knowledge of Him. It works primarily as we seek to know Him and His covenantal promises that will take us there. And, and then He makes these applications. So it's easy when we think, okay, there is this power of God, you know, that made me alive, helped me to know him, and now I can just sit back and relax. I'll, I'll just, you know, go on this autopilot mode, you know, turning on my um, lights. So he makes th three applications. He says there's certain things that we need. You need intentionality. You need to be diligent. And you need to pursue. He says applying... All diligence. 
You know, the word apply, the Greek word, uh, is broken into para, ice, ferro, comes or ferry along. You know, the, 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 the image is that of a big ship and a small ship that's ferrying it to come to the port. You know, the big ship looks gigantic, but when it comes near the harbor, they shut down the engine. It doesn't do anything. It's the small tug ships that can move them and bring them to where they have to be. So you and I may have all these baggages in our life that we have accumulated from our past, our hurts, our failures, our shortcomings. God's not saying, now I want you to find your way to come home. You may feel you're stuck, but he says the Holy Spirit is going to move you. But you got to be intentional and let the Spirit of God work in your lives. He says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, he says, It is God who works and wills in you according to his good purposes. Therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Secondly, he says, apply all diligence. You know, again, the Greek word is paudi, from which comes speed. You know, the need for speed. <laughs> it's talking about there should be a sense of urgency. If you see I'm stuck and I'm not moving, I'm just where I am. There needs to be something that needs to change. And then he says, pursue. You know, the word pursue uh, is, a, is, a, is a musical word. Uh, it's it's korygio, epikorygio, from which comes uh, the word chorus, or a symphony, or an orchestra. You know, what it talks of is you have this uh, person who's conducting the symphony and, or orchestra, and he's looking and seeing there are a few instruments or instrumentalists that are missing that will prevent this orchestra from coming up with a fantastic music that resonates in symphony. And so he picks those instruments or instrumentalists and adds it to them so it can have a beautiful music. So Peter is saying, orchestrate your spiritualization. Do some self-examination, some self-introspection, and see, where am I lacking? What do I need? And go to God and let him make those changes for you. And now he goes on after talking to us about the means of spiritual growth. Now he unpacks for us the path of spiritual growth. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Here's Peter's roadmap for us. You know, some commentators call this the seven fruits of faith. Now, we've heard of the fruit of the Spirit. It says, these are fruits of faith. It says, add to your faith because faith is a gift of God. You and I, we don't create faith to believe in Him. Once He gives us that faith, these are some fruit that you can expect to see and how God progresses us, how God, through his, how His power and His promises work in us through our union with Him to move us along those paths. You know, the first five virtues, first five things that are listed here are talking about our, our inner life stuff and our relationship to God. The last two talk about our relationship with one another. You know, faith is the foundation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's a gift of God. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And the people he was writing to, these were all wonderful Christians. They were scattered, they're going through persecution. So he doesn't stress that he knows they, they have faith. We all have faith, don't we? And that's why we are here, most of us, or some of us are searching for it. We have faith in things that are not as solid, and, and that's what all these pandemic has unearthed. But he says, now we have to move forward. And what is the first thing that the Spirit of God does in our life? Now, once we are united with Christ, you know, once we have that experience of, I, I know I can't fix myself, I'm really messed up, there are all these things that are pulling me down, and I run to him, and there comes the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And when I'm uni uniting myself with him in that, and then he comes and abides in my heart, the spirit abides in my heart, what, what can we see uh, will start to happen? The first thing he says is, add your faith virtue. It's moral excellence. It talks of strenuous energy. And, and the first experience you can have, if you're a new Christian, you remember your early days or the very first years of your life, you became so sensitive to God and His Spirit. You know, you start growing in integrity. And it starts showing up in relationships in our lives. So what, here's the thing. Once I experience this gospel in my life, once the Spirit of God comes into my heart, it's not just an intellectual switch, but I need to see changes in five relationships. First, my relationship with God. The question I can ask myself is, has my relationship with God grown or decreased compared to the last five years? Second, in my relationship with my family, if you're married or single between husband and wife or parents or siblings, how is that coming along? Am I growing in my love and, 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 and am I displaying that? And third is my relationship with my other brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. You know, am I using my gifts to serve and um, help each other grow? Fourth is my relationship with those outside the church. You know, am I really um, sharing this love of God? Is my life a witness, a testimony? Fifth is my relationship with my work. You know, do I really bring the gospel into my place of work? Am I using my God-given gifts and talents and abilities to redeem the brokenness in this world? You know, so you know, that's moral excellence. As you, as you grow, you're starting to see all these areas being transformed. So a very simple test to know if I'm progressing, if the gospel is working, if God's spirit is moving me, if you're married, is just turn around and ask your wife's, honey, do you think I'm a better man or a woman today than I was last year? Don't do it now. <laughs> I want you guys to have a good evening. Go home and do it in the night. <laughs> So the second thing he says um, is knowledge. You know, this is not something, growth doesn't happen without us growing in our knowledge of God. It's not, you know, like Packer says, knowing God is different from knowing about God. Right? One can know all about God and yet not know God at all. The pursuit of knowing God. It's the discipline of getting into his word. You and I are not Superman or Wonder Woman. We need daily food 
not just to grow our physical bodies, but to grow spiritually too. You can't give what you don't have. You can only disciple others to the extent you have been discipled. You can only teach from what you have learned. So for that, just like I take care of my physical body, you know, by, by eating the right kind of food and the right kind of things so that I can do what I want to do, I need to care for my spiritual life too. Now, Young shared about my half Ironman experience, and I'm not the most athletic guy, but the whole thing with all these long-distance endurance races, those of you who do any endurance will know, it's all about nutrition. It's not about you know, how, how your muscles are or how your body is. Those are important. You got to train. What you eat, you have to precisely measure the amount of salt you're going to consume, the carbs you will have every 30 minutes based on your body weight. If you don't have that, you won't finish. You can see pros cramping up and splitting hamstrings and crashing out. You see, what you feed will help you run your race well. And if I want my spiritual life to be vibrant and thriving, I need to have a spiritual diet every day. Not as a legalistic thing, you know, that I get some brownie points, because it's just very simple formula to fail if I don't do that. Third, he talks about self-control, which means holding yourself in. It was again used of athletes who sought self-discipline and restraint. Because when you have growing knowledge, you can start judging others. You can start thinking, oh, I know more about this person. I know more about God than this person. But he says, apart from knowledge puffing up, you want to know I'm able to control my desires better today than last year or last five years. Am I getting better in my anger management? You know? Or am I just getting ticked off as soon as I used to that it was last year? Am I able to control my desires better? That means I can know, oh, I'm growing spiritually. The gospel's actually working in my life. Then he talks of the next one is steadfastness or perseverance. Again, the Greek word is hupomone, which means staying under pressure. You know, which uh, one of the things my coach tells me when we are training for these is you need to learn to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's partly what perseverance is in our spiritual journeys. A New Testament uses this word very often. It's not simply to accept and endure. There's also a forward-looking aspect to it. You're looking at the end. You're going to finish the race. And you know, um, it is, it's the word that's used for Jesus himself, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame in Hebrews 12 too. That's Christian steadfastness. It is a courageous acceptance of everything that life can do for us and believing that God is going to use even the worst things for our good. Perseverance is hard for us as Christians, isn't it? Especially when we go through tough times or when life becomes uncomfortable, we also get uncomfortable. You know, my son Brian, uh, he loves baseball. Now, I don't know anything about baseball. I grew up playing cricket back home. 
And cricket, we usually play at least for one day or five days. You know, if it's a one-day match or a test match. And, and, and I had to learn baseball, and Susang's been a great help. He's this baseball addict. I don't know if I can use that word, but he, he loves baseball, right? So he's helped me to understand very well. And uh, Brian's a lefty, too, and both my kids are. And, uh, and he loves, he's a big hitter. So, so he goes in at third or fourth, and he tries to, when the bases are loaded, makes those big hits. Everybody loves him for that. But he has one problem, though. He hates running. <laughs> and he'll make this big hit, and you can make two home runs, and you would have barely crossed first base. And the coaches will be yelling, run, Brian, run, run, run. And he's like this cool, chill guy. Oh, I'm happy I made it to first base. You know? And everybody else have come home. He doesn't like getting uncomfortable. He'll only do what is comfortable for him. We can't make him do even one little thing more than what he likes to do. Many of us are like that in our spiritual walks, isn't it? I'll just go for the low-hanging fruit, God. Don't, don't make my life too hard. It's difficult. And the last internal virtue he says we should seek to grow is godliness, or you know, the word is reverence for God or worship. Now my growing in my love for God, love for Jesus every year, every day of my life. And all these are more internal virtues, he says, but the external ones where it will show up is my brotherly love, brotherly kindness. The word is Philadelphia, actually. It's a, it's a fervent, passionate care for one another. That when we have experienced this grace of God in our lives, we want to be there when someone's hurt, when someone needs us in their own lives, especially now when there is so much pain and brokenness and loneliness and isolation. It will want to move us to go and show that love for others. And the last one is love. You know, whereas brotherly kindness is a concern for others' needs, love is desiring the highest good of others. You know, so long maybe I'm thinking that I'm just living my life and taking care of myself and, and you know, sometimes even spirituality can be reduced to an individualistic pursuit of holiness. You know, as long as I read my Bible, I pray, I do my thing, don't, don't get me into these relationships that can get messy, man. I, it's not my thing, you know. But by definition, Christian fellowship involves imperfect people trying to come together and through experiencing the perfect relationship and love of Jesus, growing in unity with one another. That's why it doesn't matter how we look, where we come from, what's your ethnicity, what's your socioeconomic status. Doesn't matter who we are. We're all equally sinful, and we all need the same grace at the foot of the cross so that we can share the same love that God pours into our heart with one another. Isn't that the, what this world needs desperately? There's so much division and animosity and hatred and anger. And that's why Peter says that's the pinnacle, that's the ultimate thing. The world needs love. And you and I are called 
to do that. And we can because God's power is at work in us. And Peter leaves us with some glimpses of what the outcome of the spiritual growth could look like. He says, only as we progress in the spiritual roadmap, in increasing measure, he says, we will know for ourselves that we are growing in the knowledge of God. It's Peter's corollary of Paul's language while Paul talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Right? You remember that? This is Peter saying the same thing in his own language. And the bottom line, he says, is if you're a Christian, you can expect to have spiritual growth. It's normal. I think, sadly, sometimes we have come to this point where we think there are these elite Christians, you know, there's these pastors, you know, Young and Susung and Johan and others, you know, my elders, pastors, these guys, it's for them. The rest of you are this two-tire Christianity, you know. We're just all trying, man. Those guys, they, they have it. They nailed it. And they're there. But I don't know about myself. And I, no. Since you're either all in or you're all out. Some of you perhaps have gotten this and you're experiencing this. And for some people, it's possible, Peter says, if you're not growing, it means you've forgotten the good news. So you either not gotten it or you've forgotten, and therefore he calls us to remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to go again and start trying another self-effort legalistic thing. And, and, and the encouraging thing for you and me is that the gospel transforms us. And the grace of God is sufficient for every single one of us to experience transformation. And not only does the gospel transforms us, it's not an overnight process. You can't expect, today I experience the gospel, tomorrow I've, I've hit all these seven things, man. Sometimes I know with our, you know, driven Asian culture, we just want to nail everything super fast. We get frustrated, why is this not happening? Why is that not happening, right? But there are phases. Now, if you look at John, John's, 1 John, he talks of little children, young men, mature adults. It's a gradual process. You're a new, there's a place where you're a new Christian. You're just excited about several things that's happening. But you have so many questions about God. You, you, you don't know if you're on the right path and you want to know what's God's will. And, and then when you get hit with something hard... You, you feel like you want to throw up. It doesn't mean you're not there. That, that's, that's a phase. That's a season. Maybe some of you are there. And, and then you have these young adults who are experiencing more growth. You have gone through that, and God has led you. Now you have some faith, and, and you're able to overcome challenges and trials and temptations, and, and you have done this thing. And then you have the mature adults where you can ask them, if anyone says, I'm a mature, that means they are not. And those who say they are not, they are the ones who are. It's kind of weird how it works in God's kingdom. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. You can see. So, so you can take encouragement knowing that God's grace will move us to experiencing the spiritual growth. And what's the outcome of the spiritual growth? It says verse 8 to 11, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. First, it's an impactful life. You know, your life matters to God. There are some things God is going to do in you and through you to make you a blessing to the nations. I know Revive, your dream, just like our church has, is to be a blessing to the nations of the Silicon Valley. Am I saying that right? And that's not going to happen without these things. And God says, I'm going to do it through you, through each one of you. We're all very unique. We have certain innate characteristics that God can use. You know, it says David served God in his own generation. He had a purpose. He accomplished that. And you and I, that's how we want to live, having served God in our generation. And then he says, if for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And like I shared earlier, we can forget the gospel many times and fall back to try to earn our place through our efforts. Or maybe some of you are here who have not even understood the basics and and you're thinking, can I? Is there even a place for me? Will God accept me? I'm just such a messed up person. Let me first go clean up my life and then come to Jesus. No, no, no. That's not how it works. In fact, this church is not for perfect people. If you find one, they say don't go because as soon as you go, it'll become more imperfect. But the church is for broken people. It's for everyone for whom Jesus gave his life. And he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says, this is how you want to live. You want to serve God in our generation. But you have to remember a key principle, and I want to close with this, that doing flows out of being. You know, we are always concerned and thinking and focused all the time about what we want to do. God doesn't primarily care about what we do. God is primarily concerned about who we are and what we are becoming as a result of what we do. And Peter is saying, if you're living a gospel-driven life, if the grace of God is at work in your life, it's going to show up through all these internal things and showing up eventually in how you love others and out of the love when you do things it's going to make a difference for the kingdom it's going to make you uncomfortable it's going to be hard to go and love someone who comes from another culture maybe you don't take spices but this friend loves spices you go hang out for dinner and eat the spicy food food is big in some cultures isn't it and then you become friends and then you start hearing that person's story and their brokenness and you may be the agent to share the grace of God in their lives. And God is bringing the nations to Silicon Valley. We have people from more than 92 countries who come to the Silicon Valley who call this home. And most of us who are not born or or raised in the Silicon Valley, we come here. And when we call this home, we are God's transforming agents for the Bay Area. 
And it is through the love of Christ that is going to be displayed in and through us that God is going to build his kingdom. And usually in revivals, if you read in church history and how revivals start, revivals do not start at city centers. Revivals do not start with the strong and mighty and the powerful. Contrary to what people may think, oh yeah, Silicon Valley is the tech capital of the world. You know, what happens here creates ripples along the whole world. Revivals start always in the periphery of any society. Revivals start with the people who most people don't think are people. And I believe God is preparing the Bay Area for a revival by bringing people from all nations who have experienced the grace of God in their lives through the work and death and ministry of these missionaries who poured himself in them, that it is through these people who are here that are not sometimes seen as a people that God is going to unleash the next wave of revival in the Bay Area. And that is my prayer, my dear friends, that we will continue. We will remember the good news, that we will not forget the grace that is there for you and me, and that we will ask ourselves where we are, and if we are experiencing this, if not, today is not too late. I want to pray for you this evening. If you feel stuck, you can cry out and ask God to help you to get unstuck. If you feel your life is revolving only around yourself and you're not showing this brotherly love to maybe your neighbor who maybe comes from a place you don't know and, or looks weird or, or you're afraid or your colleague at work, maybe God can use you to be that person who brings his love to them so that you and I can serve God in our generation impacting this world for Jesus. Amen. Shall we pray? Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for calling each one of us by your grace. Thank you for your son, Jesus, whose righteousness has been imputed to us and whose righteousness continues to be imparted daily through his spirit as we live a life in union with him. We thank you, Lord, for the words that we meditated today, that it comes from Peter, of all people. If you could use Peter, who was so flippant and impulsive and didn't really quite understand the gospel, even though he was with you for three years, to be a blessing to so many nations, I pray you'll do the same for Revive this evening, Lord. I pray for every single person here. If there's anyone who feels stuck, I pray that you will help them to be, get unstuck this evening. If there is anyone who is not sure of where they are in their spiritual journey, I pray, Lord, you will remind them of the gospel, of the good news that they heard, of the freedom they experienced, and help them to come back to the cross this evening. And as we examine our lives in all these characteristics, Lord, help us, Lord, to see and to seek and surrender those areas where we want you to come and touch us. 
I pray that you will help us, God, if there, there are things that we are holding on to that's preventing us from growing spiritually, whether it's not forgiving a brother or sister, or whether it's letting uh, some practice or principle or thing have more power over us than you, if we have been loving anyone or anything other than you, more than you, help us, God, to let go this evening and to come running into your arms, knowing that we are fully loved, we are fully accepted. If there's anyone who has walked away from you, Lord, and maybe it's been a long time, kind of like the prodigal son, they vaguely remember the good days in the father's house. But if they are remembering your love, help them to come back to you knowing that you, as a loving father, you are watching every day over the horizon for them to come back to you. And when they do, you are going to run towards them and throw your robe on them and love them and affirm them and accept them and embrace them and make all things new in their lives. I pray for Revive, Father. I pray that every single person in this church will experience your touch, that Revive will truly be a blessing to the nations right here in Sunnyvale and Santa Clara County in the entire Bay Area. And I pray for Revive in all our churches, Lord, that through each one of us, you will help us to see a revival in this place, Lord, the only place that's never experienced a revival in the history of this nation. We believe that you're a sovereign God who moves all things and people for such a time as this. And may this be that moment, Lord, and use us to bless the Bay Area, to bless our nation so we can be a blessing to others. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.